Welcome to the Fearless Health Podcast with host Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Dr. Barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly. Dr. Barter is the founder of Alternative Family Medicine and Chiropractic in Denver and Longmont, Colorado. Hey, Dr. D, thanks for being here. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Dr. Barter. Awesome. So I want to hear what your story is and how you got into this, because it's interesting. You're the jack of all trades. So I'd love to hear how you got into what you're doing now and all of your endeavors. I think for me, like I grew up in a very athletic family and um, my dad was always big and being like, hey, just do do what you love to do. Um, Make your hobby your job. And make sure that you feel like you love what you do. You really want to do it in life, you know? And so I was always into exercise. I was an athlete. I was a collegiate track and field athlete. And I was majoring in kinesiology at James Madison University. And I started my training career there in the faculty staff uh, fitness facility. And I just realized I like it. I like spending time one-on-one with people talking to them about a variety of very personal things and funny things. And I felt like I had a gift for it. So I just wanted to like follow that gift, continue to do it. But I didn't think it was going to be like a full-time thing for me. I was like, oh, I like doing this. You know, it's fun. My goal was to be a professor in the university system, which is why I got my doctorate. And, um, but then like during my doctorate, I realized I don't really want to teach in the university system. <laughs> I don't really want to deal with all of the kind of the, the issues with higher education and, the, and, you know, being so focused on research and stuff. I wanted to deal with people on a regular basis. I love teaching. I love teaching my students, but I decided to make training kind of my main thing. And that's when I got involved in a really large company, WTS International. Uh, this is based in 33 countries. And I had no clue about it. It feels like an undercover organization, honestly, that I was a part of, but it basically allowed me to grow into the like corporate fitness management, uh, executive fitness executive roles. So at one point I was the national director of fitness for the entire company over 33 countries. And then I was running a very high end luxury fitness facility for over a decade. And that's where things kind of took off for me. I was always personal training during the time. So I never let training go. I always thought it was good to continue to train and sharpen the tool of training. And then once I did all that, I just moved past it and decided, you know, I want to start my own business um, where we're helping uh, clients to do high end luxury hotels, corporate campuses, um, multifamily residential communities that have health and wellness amenities to help them. Uh, have really good products in that sense. And whether that's in designing, developing that community uh, to be fitness centered or spa centered or in actually running the amenity for them. And then I ended up moving in also my training business to a live virtual business, which I do now as well. So everything I do is remote work now. So I'm at home. I don't go to any office. The beach is my office and I'm enjoying it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, you're passionate about personal training. That's always been kind of the crux in, in your heart. You just love working with people. And I'm curious, what do you see are, are common 
problems um, with people, you know, starting to exercise, getting over that hump, starting to lift weights. What do you really see is pulling people back? Because we know exercise is effective. We know it helps us, but, you know, people just don't have time for it. They, they don't prioritize it, basically. I think uh, one of the big things is that we're overwhelmed by the amount of information about health and wellness that's out there now. I think if you look back, like when I was growing up in the 80s, there wasn't a ton of information out there. Um, but now there's a tremendous amount of information. I think it's paralyzing us. It's causing us to, to not do anything on some level. I also think that the information we're getting is not being truthful about what exercise is, what physical activity is, what movement is. It's just lumping all movement into movement or working out or movement counts or this and that without understanding the science behind chronic adaptation, acute adaptation, how the body actually changes. And exercise is just, we're working out is literally just one variable into your health and wellness. It's not going to save you completely from, you know, you know, your weight gain and stuff. It's just, I think there's a lack of good information from reputable sources. I mean, you shouldn't be getting your workout information from YouTube and Instagram and things like that. That has nothing to do with your body and what actually works for you for that. So I think when people start, they're getting information that is not exactly uh, the best resources to start effectively. So what do you see? I mean, I think that that's a great point. So someone goes online and they're like, okay, well, I follow this person on Instagram and I think that they're fantastic and I'm doing XYZ program. And those programs I think are fairly popular, right? Mm -hmm. And so what are you seeing like is, is misinformation out there that is potentially not a good reason to find your workout program on YouTube or Instagram? I think a lot of it currently is like high intensity um, interval training or exercise. We're in a phase right now where it's, we're pushing like really hardcore exercise. Like, listen, for me, that is appropriate. I'm a lifelong, very hardcore exerciser. I've worked up to that. You know, it's kind of like if you, you go to a gym, I think a lot of people, they see somebody who's closer to their finish line. And then they look at their own starting point and they compare themselves for that. When you're getting a program from some online forum resource or some influencer who is really popular, they don't know anything about you. They're trying to scale their business to make as much money as possible by giving a very something like they like to do. And what we know through research, longitudinal studies over decades and decades that you can provide a bunch of people with the same exercise program and they will have vastly different outcomes for that. And there's a good book about it. I think it's, it's called The Sports Gene. And basically that every person's response to exercise is completely individualistic. So if somebody tells me, oh, well, this program works, I, I don't know. I have no clue if that works because I don't know your genetic makeup. I don't know your response to these type of exercises. I don't know whether you uh, respond better to going to bed earlier or later, or whether you have enzymes that help you get sun better onto your skin, the vitamin D. I, I don't know any of this stuff about you. So how would I tell you that this program is going to work for you? 
I don't know that. Yeah. So that's, is this more of a, a placebo? Did they talk about this being a placebo effect or is this just basically people's genetics is made up? You know, some people do better with a higher intensity workout. It's not a placebo effect, but you said the same workout, people will have yes. vastly different results. Yeah. We know this from, um, I can't remember the name of the study, but it's a very, I think it's the Harris family study. It's a longitudinal research that. study that has taken basically family members and twins. You know, we study twins a lot when looking at, you know, information because you know, same DNA and it studied basically VO2 max, your ability to consume oxygen, oxygen per milliliter per minute. And we had people that had showed that some people in that study had like 93% increase in their VO2 max. And some people had 0% increase and they controlled for almost every factor you can control for, for the exercise program. That just tells me that our response to the same program is completely different. You can't just give people, you can't go on there because somebody has 2 million followers and go follow this this workout today, this will be like, get your results. How do you know that? How would you know that? Where's the research for that? And I think also is we throw research around too much. Like, oh, I looked at this research and that research. Is it a meta-analysis? Does it involve 30, 40 studies? What was the methodology of it? How well was the sample size? You know, how did they run the results for that? Was it qualitative? Was it quantitative? Your lay person has no clue about that. They just put out a research study to support whatever that organization wants you to support for it. Yeah. And you're seeing a lot of that. I mean, I think it, in my line of work, people come in and they're like, well, I read this study or I read that study. And when you're actually looking at the study, it's not a study at all. It's just someone's opinion article online yeah. that I think that people are getting confused. Like, is this a double blind placebo study? Exactly. Like you said, is this some meta analysis? Is this a yeah. case study? Like what, like what's the <laughs> level of evidence in this? And, and, you know, how can we hone this? I mean, how many people were participating Three. I, I mean, yeah. you know, like, is that really a good sample size? And, and that gets thrown out, I think around a lot in my industry as well. So I can definitely see that being frustrating. So what do you, um, as a general rule, um, and I know that this is going to span across the board, um, do you believe working out needs to be individualized or do you think that there's maybe a program that people can start with? Clearly, it's not high intensity, you know, that that's maybe not the best thing to start. But do you do you believe that people can start getting into exercise in a specific way or what do you recommend? Yeah, I think the best thing to start out when working out is to understand what version of it you're entering into. I think we talked a little bit about this in our other conversation we had. Yeah, offline, we totally but, and I think it's, I think this is the most critical aspect to starting an act a workout program. I want to say this correctly, because I think this is really important to know is, are you starting an exercise program, which you probably are. If you're starting from ground zero, you're starting an exercise program that probably is going to evolve, to devolve into a physical activity program, or you may just be in a movement-based program. So I know people listen to this and they're like, that's the same thing. I, you're ex moving. I'm like, it's not. Mm -mm. And it's basically, you may start 
let's say something that everybody knows walking. You may start walking around your corner or your block regularly. And the first time you did it, it was very strenuous because you're not used to doing an activity. You were causing a stimulus that was much greater than what your body's used to doing. You probably felt uncomfortable, sore, very tired. You were exercising. But what happens with human beings is we are creatures of comfort. So instead of making that walk longer or increasing the pace or cadence, we just continue to walk the same path over and over again for the same amount of minutes at the same intensity. At that point, you are doing physical activity. You have stopped creating a stimulus to cause increases in the different variables related to uh, cardiac output, stroke volume. You've just kind of leveled off. And eventually, that may become so easy for you to do that it's literally just general movement and that you obviously are gaining benefits from moving around. We, we need to move around more, but you have to decide whether you want to make, if you want results, you're going to have to exercise. You're going to have to cause a normal, a regular, gradual stimulus. It needs to get harder over time for that. And so I think you need to decide where you want to enter into it. You're probably going to enter into exercise, but do you want to stay in exercise? Do you want to drop the physical activity or do you really just want to move regularly? I guarantee you the majority of people never think about this when they start the program. They just think it's all the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so I we throw around exercise constantly like it's the same thing. Such a good point to differentiate between movement and exercise. And I think uh, another common thing that I hear all the time is, well, I am walking. I'm going on a walk every day. I walk for 20 minutes and I'm not losing weight, you know, and, and, and I think that people believe that if they do any sort of movement, which you've called it, which isn't really exercise, they may or may not drop weight that way again. Right. Because like you said, it's in their comfort level and they're not moving beyond that. So that is, I think just such a critical point. So when somebody says to you, I am walking for 20 minutes a day uh, or five days a week, and I'm not losing weight. What would your response be to that? Like why you know, why are they not quote unquote losing weight? I would first tell them, why are you, why are you doing that as your main form of, of weight loss? Mm-hmm. Why is, why do you think that 20 minutes a day is going to cause you to lose weight? Like, who told you that? Where did you get that information <laughs> from? That's I would ask that. And then I would say, how do you sleep on a regular basis? What's your sleep opportunity? What's your actual sleep time? They probably never even heard the word sleep opportunity versus sleep time and quality. Like, what is your typical um, nutritional? What are your habits for that? You know, what's your stress? What, what is your level of stress on a daily basis? But like, all that determines your weight loss, not your 20-minute walk. I'm like, but if they say, well, I really want to focus on moving regularly as my main portion, I'm like, I'm not sure you're ready for that to be your main mode because the amount of work it would take would be incredible for that to contribute to your weight loss. You would need to have a much higher intensity, and you would need to have at least 450 minutes of pretty good exercise on a regular basis, which most people are just not willing to do. Uh, They make an excuse of all too much time or, you know, uh, the, the monetary aspect or whatever it is. But I think initially, you know, 
I want to know like why they think that's their main thing to lose weight. Like where they get that information from. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, sleep is really, you know, important, but what I've really seen a lot of people do, um, you know, some of the pitfalls of, of weight loss is most people load their calories to the end of the day. I don't know if you've noticed that as well, but I feel what I have observed is most people eat much fewer calories in the morning and then they heavy load sometime between, you know, seven, probably even eight or nine is, is more of a common time. And they will probably, and then they'll have another snack around 10, 30 or 11. And they're like, what do you think of that? And like, I'm astounded because I'm, I'm already asleep, right? So I'm asleep. <laughs> I'm like, if I could go to bed at nine, I would. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I'm asleep by 10, like lights out. Mm-hmm. And I'm done. Yep. But I think that, that most people don't realize the importance of, um, that it's really an issue to eat later on. What's your thought on that? Uh, I think that for a lot of people, they had just very irregular, um, eating habits. Um, and I look at it kind of like, I, I work with a lot of people who are like travel quite a bit or they're, they're, they're always in their eating habits are in flux all the time. So they may eat most of their calories in the evening time, like you said, but then they go, let's say on vacation and they drastically change how they approach to eat. So then they eat more in the morning then they eat more at lunch and then they eat a lot in the evening time. Then they start gaining a lot of weight because they have, they've drastically changed and altered their habits of eating for that. Um, it's an interesting way of looking at it. I think I haven't really looked at it to like back, you know, loading all the calories into the, the day. I think it's just every it's nutrition's a weird thing because I think it's, it's also part of the individualized aspect of it. There's a mountain of research related to all these different types of programs, whether it's plant-based or carnivore diet and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. And everybody wants to be right. They want to be right about their thing that they're so passionate about. It's like the food wars. about. (laughs) And I I just try to keep, I don't provide any advice like that to my clients because it's outside of my scope of practice, but Mm -hmm. I generally am like, well, how does it make you feel, mm-hmm. you know, when you eat that? Like, do you feel good? Do you not feel so good when you work out? And I think that's a hard thing for working out for people is like, when you really get into it and you're doing it regularly, how well you eat plays a large role in your performance of working out. But a lot of people don't even look at how well they're performing when they're working out. They just think, I just need to do it. Whereas the my mindset is, I want it to be quality. I want to destroy this workout. I want to be like, um, I really want to attack it. I will have a mindset of improvement. But I don't, most people, my observation and that what I've seen is that most people are not looking at exercise that way or working out. It's like, I just need to get through this and just get it done. So they don't care about the quality of the workout. It's just, I need to do it. But when you care about the quality of your workout, then you have to start caring about the quality of the food you put into your body before that and the nutrient timing of it. The food, so your outlook on food and how you approach it changes when you, want it, you look at it more of a performance aspect versus I just have to do this. Mm-hmm. And what do you feel like for you? Um, do you believe that weightlifting is an effective form to help people really start to get into shape? Do you believe in bodyweight exercises, a mix of both? 
What do you think is most effective? I believe in all of it, but I believe that it depends on how you respond to it. (laughs) (laughs) It's individualized. Yeah. (laughs) It's individualized. Like there's people who, you know, they're hitting the weights really hard all the time. I used, I have had this, I always get like the over-exercise population. That's like what get, <laughs> I don't get people who are losing, right? I don't get the weight loss people. I get the psychotics who are like, I work out seven days a week, three hours a day. And I'm like, you, you know why your body's falling apart, right? <laughs> you need to rest, <laughs> you like recover. No, I'm not going to keep it up. I'm like, actually, you're just doing diminishing returns. You're actually just as unhealthy as somebody who's doing nothing. If you look at a lot of research, you are you're on the extreme ends. You're basically sedentary. You think you're you think you're like destroying it, but like you're destroying yourself for that. And that's a lack of trusting biological research on human bodies and also understanding what your recovery period should be. I'm 41. I'm in the range where I need 48 to 72 hours of recovery between workouts. I'm not 22 anymore when I was like destroying every day. That's not, I just, I had to come to that reality, you know? First off, I literally can't believe you're 41. (laughs) It's for starters. Really? That's Um, awesome. Yeah, I know. No, you certainly do not look 41. But I I also think um, we see a lot of that here because people are just such over-exercisers. And I mean, if you, I remember when I first moved to Colorado, I rode my bike, you know, about 30, 30 miles away, played two games of ultimate Frisbee, rode back, you know, so it was 60 miles and I was wiped. Like I was on the couch, I was wiped. And I think that later that week or something, I were, or that day I was talking to somebody and they just, their daily activity just trumped me. I don't remember. They're like, yeah, I wrote a, I wrote a hundred miles and I did all this extra climbing and da, 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 da. And that's really what you see in Colorado. (laughs) But um, (laughs) that's just us here. But I think as a general rule, people cannot rest. They definitely over-exercise quite a bit. I feel like we see the two ends of the spectrum. So in an ideal situation, how much should someone work out and how much should someone rest, you know, based on their ages? Yeah, I think when, you know, somebody's in their 20s, their their ability to recover is much quicker than somebody my age or older. So you get kind of the 24-hour, 24 to 48 hours. Some people's level of super compensation is like mind-blowing. Genetically, they can come back the next day and have crazy good quality workouts um, in their 20s. But we know biologically that changes as a person gets older. I'm, I'm always very conservative with people is that you should kind of, you should load very slowly into exercise. You shouldn't go, I'm always wary of the person who tells me, I want you to, I want to hire you as my trainer and I want to work out five days a week. I'm like, whoa, slow down, slow down. I'm like, you haven't been doing anything and then you want to do five days a week. I'm like, listen, if you're going for people listen to this, if you're going from being sedentary, especially to deciding to uh, work out, you should be conservative. Start with one to two days a week because you don't know how your body is going to react to that stimulus. You have no clue. You may be one of those people who recovers quickly. More than likely, probably not. That's a very small percentage of population. You're going to exercise for the first time. And you're going to feel like garbage. You just are when you start because that's your body is like, what are you doing to me? 
we don't do this. We sit down all day. We don't, we don't do anything. We don't stimulate ourselves. You're going to need to recover from that probably two to three days. And then you can get another workout in. Um, so that first couple of weeks, you may get four or five workouts in max during that time. And uh, some people will be like, what? I want to work, start working out quite a bit, you know? But I think what the, what the problem is you're too unrealistic about how you want to go ahead and like, just jump into it. I mean, I don't tell somebody I love them the first day I meet them. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. You know, it's, this isn't like some weird reality TV show, you know, where people are getting married at first sight. Like this is <laughs> like, hey, this is your life. It's realistically, you need to jump into it on micro levels. You need to start shaping at a small level and then start building that, building it up. So ideally, I think once you're getting into a rhythm, you know, three, four days max a week is is pretty much where you should probably land on. Don't be one of these people in Colorado or all these places, <laughs> Denver, right? I love you exercise. I love people that exercise. And play. You got to be smart, man. It's like, you, you can't sustain that over time. You need to think, okay, what's my sweet spot? My sweet spot is three days a week. That's it. But my sweet spot is like really intense exercise three days a week. The rest of the time, I'm just recovering, active recovery, working and stuff. I'm, I'm not worrying about if I'm not staying fit or if I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gaining weight. I'm trusting the science, my biology, and it always works for that. I can't tell you what yours is because I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, it's been highly debated, I believe, in the exercise community about, you know, specific targeting areas. Okay, mm-hmm. well... I've got this area that I don't like. I want to work on this area more. What do you think about the targeting of certain areas? I think, you know, when I was in school 20 years ago or so, I mean, this was a big topic, you know, spot reducing. And I think the research back then was pretty clear that that, that is not a thing. There's mm-hmm. no such thing as that. I, would, I mean, I haven't looked at the research recently on that, but I would imagine it's pretty similar. But people still will come to you with like, I need to have my abs look better or, mm-hmm. you know, I want to have better legs and stuff like that. I'm just like, it's just educating people that one, I don't know where that's going to change you with what we're doing. It's okay mm-hmm. to say you don't know. I mean, because I don't know your genome. I don't know, you know, whether you respond better to a mix of cardiovascular exercise and high intensity resistance training, or you need more meditative based exercises in between or this and that. All I know is you will end up looking like yourself, whatever that means. I have no clue, but you will look like yourself, not somebody else. And it will not happen in a specific place at a specific time for that. Yeah. You know what I've noticed? So uh, myself um, in particular, I have really strong quads. I mean, everything I do is quad dominant. Yeah. Um, I think, I think there was a study done that you know it's it's twenty to eighty hamstrings to quads for most mm. people. I think I'm somewhere between you know ninety to ninety five yeah. quads to you know ten to five percent hamstrings. I I actually think it's that seriously imbalanced. And yeah. so my I've really been working on just engaging engaging my hamstrings. But anytime my quads can get involved, they commonly do. Is this a common pattern that you see 
in a lot of your exercise clients, because I've personally seen quite a bit of that in here. I think the posterior chain, you know, glutes, hamstrings, they don't like to activate near as much as the anterior chain. Yeah, I think um, most people are very quad dominant from my observation, but a lot of the exercise are quad exercises are quad dominant. Uh, I think there's a bigger emphasis on adding in more um, glute hamstring work. But one of the things I think is a barrier for the the average, you know, your recreational exerciser is that um, a lot of the machines are based on really focused on quadricep based exercises for that. And there's very few options for hamstring glute opportunities, maybe a little more now, but your average exercise So basically for people is that they get stuck in doing like leg extensions, a lot of squats, especially, um, and, and less of your, um, flexion at the knee for hamstrings, uh, any of those, those types of things. So I think that we're just in a very quad dominant society in the way the per- equipment is produced, but also the lack of knowledge of how to activate that, you know, the glute hamstrings. You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, occasionally I'm not a big like workout class person or whatnot, but I was visiting a friend of mine in Montana and I was like, I don't want to do, I, I think I was in a workout class and everything was squats <laughs> and lunges and everything that I personally do not need to do. Like, and I'm just standing there like marching in place. And I mean, I would say 50% of the exercises were things that I absolutely did not need to strengthen because my routine activities of mountain biking and skiing and ski mountaineering mm-hmm. really pushed the quads and the psoas Big so, time. so much that I'm like, yeah, I really don't, I real posterior chain. I just all need posterior chain. And I think just consistently I've seen that. And when I've seen some of the videos on, you know, YouTube or, um, Pinterest, and I'm not looking at this stuff much, but I've seen examples of that. I feel like everything is squat jumps, lunges. I mean, it's just consistently across the board and people don't know that they shouldn't do that. And I hear people come in and they say, you know, my quads are getting bigger or my hips are getting bigger. And I'm looking at the exercises that they're doing. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's all quad and hip dominant. I mean, you know, you're not engaging the posterior chain. So I just so commonly see that. You know, the other thing that I think is really interesting that I see in practice quite a bit is people cannot engage their upper back muscles. Have you noticed mm-hmm. that, that most people are overly forward on their, their upper body and, um, they, when you actually teach somebody to sit down and to do a row, they can't do it. They can't engage their upper back. Have you noticed, have you noticed some of that? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a combination of like what looks good to people Mm -hmm. and what's available to them. Um, 
you know, for a lot of people, kind of your show muscles, people want to overdevelop those because your it looks show good. Muscles. The show muscles. You know, the show, the lot, they want the latte factor. They want That's the latte funny. muscles. Right. When you order your you order your coffee, you want to get that coffee and the veins pop out of your arms and stuff like that. No and way. It's the latte. It's called the latte factor. You ever heard of that? No, this is so new knowledge to me. I haven't ever heard any of this. The show factor, the latte factor. Yeah, it's all about the show. Oh, that's it's all about funny. the show. People want to show you what's in front of them because what they're wearing accessorizes the show. Oh, that. Wow. And then so, you know, the back becomes irrelevant to people because it's, you know, it's not the show or the latte factor. But I think there's a lot of that, what looks good. And then also um, for a lot of people, like your, again, your recreational exercises, they're going to gravitate to whatever is there a machine. And that machine is going to be basically maybe like a seated row, um, maybe a back extension, which is just butchered at every gym. It's horrendously done. Um, mm-hmm. So there's, they don't feel like there's a lot of options for that when doing it. But the show muscles... there you are so the the show muscles is what or what people want to see so they they need to just spend a lot of time on that because it's what looks good is what society says hey look have a big chest have big arms you know abs 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 show me what looks good type of thing so i think we are we're less obsessed with what is functional for us which will round out you know, our traps, upper, middle, lower traps versus, oh, I want a big chest, I want big arms, big biceps, triceps, the whole thing. Honestly, it's about the show. It's a lot about the show. I've just seen it so much. You know, how we look is so important to humans. And Mm -hmm. so it's not necessarily how important we function. I think for a lot of people, it's how important we look in our outfits. I just like to tell tell how I see it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's just, yeah. I think we're just, and plus I don't get the knowledge is there. And for a lot of trainers, they're not knowledgeable on the chain. They're not knowledgeable about physics and biomechanics and motor learning and how to sequence uh, a progression of exercises that causes a change in that chain. So they're just going to go with what they've seen on something, you know? You know, and I think that that's the big push to, you know, I get a lot of questions in practice about testosterone um, in, hmm. in, um, in, in utilizing testosterone therapy. I try to educate people that if they reduce their inflammation, their overall body, that a lot of times the testosterone comes back up because um, hormones and inflammation are inversely, inversely related. And so if something is going, you know, if, if your inflammation's up, testosterone's naturally down in a lot of situations. You know, you add stress, you add sleep, you add chemical mm-hmm. toxicity, you add, you know, gut infections, you add bad diet. You, I mean, whatever it is, it can be anything. Ultimately, they're they're inverse, inversely related. What are you seeing on that trend? Are you seeing that being a pretty common trend in what you're doing that a lot of people are trying to? supplement with testosterone? No, it's a good question. I, I haven't seen it. I mean, I have several clients who are in their fifties and they look amazing. They're functionally really awesome. Yeah. I think we've had a conversation about it where they've said that they wanted to start some, uh, maybe some hormone enhancement or supplementation, but 
I haven't had a lot of experience with clients who are really pushing that or people mm-hmm. who are pushing that. Well, I think for me though, as I, I come at it from a very different point of view of kind of this psychosocial dynamic with people of though, like they want results, but they really want to just have companionship also. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that sense of community and companionship is the missing element of most um, workout programs. Now, some people will say, Hey, the group exercise is where you get that. I'm like, you, I'm not a group exercise, but I used to teach it a lot, but I, I saw right through it when I, after I, I was like, you know what? I was like, it's too difficult to create chronic adaptation in this because there's too many people involved and it's basically just a form of movement. And I think that it's probably not the best version of getting in your best condition. Although a lot of people attend it, I will say, I, I don't have research on this, but I, my observation over the years is that the lack of accountability in classes is not good. And the instructor often is not very uh, educated in the, the science behind your body. And one, they don't know. They can't do an intake on you or nothing. You just show up to a class. They take you through a bunch of stuff. They have no clue if it's actually works for you or not. It's just movement. So, which is, I think, why a lot of uh, places are not calling it group exercise anymore. They say, oh, we've come to our our motion classes, or this is the movement area, because it's really not, it may be exercise initially, but often what your Zumba class is or whatever you're taking turns into just a bunch of movement or physical activity for you, because it never progresses past the same songs, the same steps, the whole thing. What even your hit classes, a lot of the times, like I'll see people uh, teaching those classes, and it's like these, this sequence makes no sense that you're doing like zero sense is these this is a compound sequence superset sequence upper lower what's the physics behind this mm-hmm. is this more cardio based weight like they couldn't tell you what it was because they just threw a bunch like 20 exercises together they saw on youtube and that looked cool mm-hmm. but it has no actually foundation in biological reasoning and if it actually works and again how would you know it works you have like 50 people in a class it's not like you did an intake or DNA testing on them to see if this was the type of exercise that would probably work for them. You know, are you? Um, yeah, I mean, I I've a hundred percent seen that. I mean, based on the exercise class where I did about fifty percent of the exercises and just like shined on the rest because I mean it was inappropriate for my body. The form wasn't correct. How fast they were doing the exercise was dangerous. I did not want to additionally work out my quads more. I didn't want to work out my psoas more, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it was, you know, it, for my reasoning on doing that, but I'm, I'm pretty, pretty educated in biomechanics, but you know, mm-hmm. most people can't do that. And a friend, I remember looked at me in, a, in the middle of the exercise class and she was like, I think it was like called Pio, right? Okay. It's like yeah, yeah. Pilates, Pilates and, and yoga. yoga. Yeah. And um, she looked at me, she leans over in the class and she's like, this is like danger yoga. This is like how you put your back out. <laughs> danger yoga. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just laughing, you know, I'm probably standing there because I'm not doing whatever exercise it was. Right. So anyway, but I, I think that that's a really important point. I definitely have seen people have super bad form, get injured in those mm. classes. And again, I don't attend very, very often, only when I'm visiting yeah. friends. But you definitely see that. Are you doing genetic testing to see what is the best type of workout for somebody? Yeah, I have actually, my company, uh, Epic Leisure Management, we have partnered with a company in the UK, DNA Fit, that does uh, DNA testing 
for um, nutrition, um, exercise, sleep, all these things, so that it basically looks at genome responses to these to these areas. So you get a report after you get you do a swab in your mouth, you send back the test, and then it runs the DNA test for the specific genes related to areas such as exercise recovery for you, um, what um, your susceptibility to injury, um, your response to certain um, like deficiencies you may have like biologically to vitamin B, D, stuff like that. Just It gives you a full uh, run-up of that stuff. So it basically lowers the margin of error when I'm working with somebody. So if I get this report on somebody and it says, hey, uh, Dr. Barter needs uh, extra recovery and that she has a larger susceptibility to soft tissue-ish injuries. Okay, already I know something that I would have never known just starting to train you for that. I can immediately say, I think, well, based off of your biology, we need to take longer time between sessions to make sure you're fully recovered so we have a quality workout. Normally, I don't know that. I literally just guess that. I, I provide a, a stimulus, I monitor the response, and I go, looks like you need two or three more days in between, <laughs> type of thing. You know, it's, it's training is a lot of guesswork. Anybody who tells you they know exactly what works is lying to you. How would, you don't know the other person. You don't know their genomics. So you might have a situation where like you may be taking, you say, oh, I need to get outside and get, you know, sun exposure. But what if your body doesn't, basically doesn't metabolize the sun properly to get the benefit? You might need supplementation to override that system that is not working well. How would you know that? You wouldn't know that unless you had this information. So it's not the end all be all. It's not going to tell you every single thing, but it does give you an idea of like, okay, maybe these are some things I need to think about. And, and if you're really, if you're somebody who works out regularly, you take care of yourself, it's just going to tell you stuff you already know. You're like, I, I figured that was the case, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just good information to have. And there's the, the market is being saturated with this stuff. I mean, there's like thousands of companies doing it. Um, we just like this company because we had a great personal relationship with them. And the testing is really easy to read. And you get the test back within like eight days, mm-hmm. uh, which a lot of places it takes six to eight weeks, which is a long time to wait to get a test about that when somebody wants to start working out. So with this DNA fit test, um, are you able to tell if somebody needs high intensity workout, low intensity workout as well? Are you able to determine the level of exercise and maybe even to get it more personalized, like you do better with a 45 minute workout versus an hour and a half minute workout? I mean, how does it, you know, what are you seeing from that spectrum? Yeah, it will tell you like, these are activities that you should probably be engaging in more of like, a, like for mine is like a mixture of like high intensity cardio and resistance training exercise. Um, and that's what I've done most of my life. So it was like, I was like, wow, this is like right on. <laughs> Some people say you need to do more like lower intensity based exercise. And then add in maybe more some more cardio cardiovascular based exercise. So it, it gives you different parameters based off of like your genome and whether you're a more power centric person or you're a more cardio oxidative person, um, just things of that nature on there. So it's just kind of a, a it doesn't tell you like specific exercises, mm-hmm. but it'll say like these sure. are more things that you should 
tailor your workouts more towards this. And I, I really like the whole recovery aspect of it and saying, Hey, like, or also the susceptibility to injury, like, Hey, you're more susceptible to ligament damage or tears. Well, knowing that I know I'm going to probably need to decrease my level of like high contact based exercises. You know, we're not going to be doing all these squat jumps and things of that nature <laughs> where there's a lot of compression on the spine or on the joints. So I think it's just good to know that information um, to have it. Most of the tests are in the, you know, low hundred dollars. The price is going down more and more as the more companies are getting involved and it's getting easier to process the tests. So there's probably at some point there'll be tests, you know, $50, $60 tests. Um, I've done probably six of them because we were researching companies we wanted to go with. So I went through, <laughs> and, and what was good is all six of the tests told me exactly the same thing. From that was my follow-up question. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this is, this is interesting information, but it's not going to tell you everything. And a lot of times you could take your information that you've gotten from like, um, 23 and me ancestry, and they can take that and use it for the testing for mm. your health and wellness for that. A lot of places will just take it from there. And stuff, so, wow. That's really cool. So I like to ask all my guests on the podcast, what are some things every day that you do to keep yourself healthy? Oh, love that question. Uh, one, I try not to take my approach to exercise too serious, like in terms of like, I have to do this all the time. I think working out is, is a seasonal lifetime feeling. And it's, what I mean by that is that some seasons, your exercise may be more mountain biking or swimming or, <laughs> or kayaking, and you, you may be really like into it. And some seasons you may want to really you know, increase the hypertrophy, you have increased your muscle size, or you might want to be really focused on mobility and stability is like, go with that. You don't, it doesn't have to be so regimented all the time for that. So for me, I try to follow how I'm feeling in that season and then focus on that. The other thing is I have a very low stress life. I have curated that on purpose. I make sure I focus very much on how well the relationship I have with my wife and my daughter, that that is always good and that it is always, that I'm filling them up. I'm giving them goodness on a regular basis and that we're saying good things to each other. You know, like when I dropped my daughter off at the bus stop, she's eight years old. I said, go out there, fill up somebody's bucket today, be good to other people. You're smart. You're beautiful. That she's going to have a good feeling about me. I have a good feeling about her. I say the same thing to my wife. It keeps everything good and in a good manageable space. I think for like in terms of like food, as I mentioned earlier, for me, I just try to approach it like, am I actually hungry? I only eat when I'm hungry. I don't eat mindlessly, but when I'm really hungry, that's when I eat. That could be any time, I don't know, whenever during the day. So I try to listen to my body. And then I always, I'm a big stickler, stickler for giving myself at least eight and a half to nine hours of sleep opportunity. And then generally I get about seven and a half to eight hours of actual sleep. So I try to implement a lot of things that are easy to do. I would say the biggest thing though, is just low stress. Like I walk on the beach a lot. I look at the water. I mean, you're in Colorado. I'm sure there's tons of outdoor adventure things to do. 
serve other people, tell them good things. You'll be surprised what that does for your fitness level. Very surprised. You know, what I think was one of the coolest things, you know, with, you know, filling the cup up of other people and especially your very closest personal relationships, um, your spouse, your, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, um, those, those personal people, I just feel like that has been a huge change in my own personal life. We do every morning, three things that we're grateful about for the other person. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like that just starts your day off on such a good note. And you're so happy. And I think that just, just really making a conscious effort of keeping your relationship happy and working on that, I think makes such a big difference in your overall life. I just think that that's so critical and so overlooked. And I really feel like so many people are angry at their their spouses. And um, I I really think that that's a huge keynote that I, that I personally talk in day in and day out that I've seen make a huge difference. I think we're going to find out 20, 30 years from now that you know, say, why aren't people losing weight? Why are we, why is the needle moving in the wrong direction? I think we're going to find out a lot of it is based off of our community and how we treat each other mm-hmm. and how like, oh, I can't lose weight. And I've done all these things. Maybe the one thing you're missing is, is being good to somebody else on a regular basis. And maybe you're just so stressed out all the time. It's causing the release of hormones and all these things that are fighting against you to do well. I think I, I told my wife this other day. I said, I, I love exercise. I love all this stuff and eating well and stuff. I said, but the, the bomb in society is going to be our stress level. That's going to be the thing that's going to get us. It's not going to be all this other stuff. I think we are, we are way too wired for action all the time. We need to slow down. We need to be intentional and action-based about what we need to do to feel better. And a lot of it is don't be a douchebag on a regular basis. <laughs> I'm like, seriously, like just be nicer and you'll see a lot will change in your life. You know, it is. Well, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? I would say mainly LinkedIn um, because um, surprise, I don't have a lot. I don't have social media. I really <laughs> don't like it, uh, but I, um, I like to keep things simple. So LinkedIn is where I'm at professionally and it's easy to find me on there. Um, and then my own podcast, Dr. D's Social Network. Mm-hmm. I love doing it. Dr. Barter is going to be on as well. Yeah. So so she's going to be on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be asking the questions. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to learn a lot about her. Hot on seat. That. The hot seat gets switched. <laughs> and uh, so those are the two places that I think is best. You'll get to hear me talking to a variety of people and kind of learn about me and who I am as a person and then LinkedIn, who I am as a professional. Yeah. Because all of your, your whole entire business is referral based. I think that's an important piece. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're having the website or any of that. So that's Mm -hmm. why it's LinkedIn is your, is your main thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep my life simple. I don't need to have a lot Mm -hmm. of things, just a couple of things. Keep it simple. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed learning with us today, please give us a five-star review, comment, like, and share our podcast with your friends and family. As always, if you'd like to learn more information about today's guest, please head over to fearlesshealthpodcast.com 
for links to their site and other educational resources.